Amen. Thank you, choir. Why don't we stand together as we join our voices and continue to praise our holy God today. Let's stand together.
Can I get a big amen out of that? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you're holy. You're holy. And none of us are able or worthy to stand in your presence. But you invite us even now to come and be with you. Why? Oh, because what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. It doesn't matter what it is. You're capable and you're ready and you will. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you that all our lives, you've been so, so good. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us in Jesus' name. Brother, well, good morning, church. So good to see each of you today. And uh, did you did you miss that hour this morning? I don't know what it is about that time change. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is, but it took y'all a little while. I bet it took them a while to even get to singing a little bit this morning, didn't it? So. Uh, there are, there are moments that I just think sometimes we should just do some spiritual aerobics and just kind of get woke up a little bit. But uh, I'll spare you this morning, all right? I'll spare you this morning. But I've been praying for you, been praying for this day and praying for uh, our time of worship together. Thank you, Scott, and all of our uh, singers and musicians. And, uh, man, thank you for leading us so well and so faithfully every single week. And I, I tell you, I just kind of just almost want to break out in a testimony meeting right now. God really is good, amen? And God's been faithful, hasn't He? All right, so somebody just, 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 just do it. We, are y'all okay being undignified enough to have a little testimony meeting this morning? So then, then just somebody stand up and brag on how good God is and just tell us how you've seen the faithfulness of God recently. Just do it. Amen. Amen. How, how, how have you seen the faithfulness of God? Now don't stand up at once. God is faithful to save. Amen? Man, that's good. That's good. Somebody else. Just one more. Just one more. God bless you. Thank you for doing that. I know I'm probably scaring some of you to death, aren't I? Like, you just don't know what this guy's going to do. Well, good, because you really don't, all right? I want to keep you hopping, keep you guessing. And uh, But God really is faithful, isn't he? He's faithful and he's good. And I just praise his name today. If you have a copy of God's Word, look with me again in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll be in chapter 2 today, 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 2. Now there is a lot in this chapter, but I want to focus this morning on what I would consider to be gospel-centered leadership. When you use the word leadership, I mean there are so many books written on leadership today. I mean they're all over the place. But here's what I want you to really listen closely to this morning. Leadership in the church without lordship is not a good thing. You understand what I'm saying? If we're not careful, we'll take all of our cues from the world. We'll take our cues from the business world because because if that's how you think and that's how you tick, then that's how you want to operate. But I want to tell you, be very, very careful when it comes to leadership that it's gospel-centered leadership. And Paul gives us a, a, a window to kind of peep through today to see what does that look like, all right? And by the way, it's not just for pastors and for staff when you're talking about leadership, okay? I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I want you to really hear this. I, I'm praying for your next pastor, and I want him to be a man of gospel-centered leadership. As the church grows and you add staff, I hope that it will always be gospel-centered staff and gospel-centered leadership. But I want you to understand everybody in this room is a leader. There are a lot of moving parts to leadership, but one of those is influence. And every one of you in this room have somebody looking at you. And they're looking to you for influence. They're looking to you for leadership. They have questions and they need answers and they are looking to you. And some of you are thinking, man, I am no way, Jose. I am not a leader. Oh, yes, you are. Mom, you're a leader. Because you've got children looking up to you. Dad, you're a leader. I don't, I don't know what your career is, what your occupation is, but whatever you do, you just may be the only Bible somebody's reading. And they are looking to you that you would influence them to be, to be closer to Jesus and not farther away from Him. So every person in this room, when you, when you talk about leadership, see, sometimes in the church, this is, listen, just, can I, I'm going to put all the cookies on the bottom shelf, is that Okay. See, a lot of times in church life, when you talk about leadership, most people in the, in the pews, they just kind of shut down. And they are always observing what the pastor does or the music guy does or the youth guy or the children's person or... You, y'all with me, right? No, but everybody in this room is a leader and an influencer. So as we walk through this text today, I I want you to put yourself in this text and help us to to understand what it really means that that people would imitate us. They would observe us. They're looking to us. And so if you found your place, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. As a matter of fact, hold that Bible up and say this with me. This is the Bible. It's God's holy, infallible, inerrant, perfect, life-giving, life-changing Word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 
For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext of greed, for God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could make demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. You remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Father, thank you for just being you. God, thank you for the privilege to come. Lord, to gather here in this place today. God, thank you for just your blessings of health and strength. God, thank you for food. Thank you for clothing. God, thank you for the vehicles that we were able to drive in today. God, to be able to be a part of a family, a community of redeemed people. God, what a blessing that really is. Lord, to be reminded, God, that you are faithful and that you are good. God, to be reminded today that, Lord, many times we, we bear burdens that we were never created to bear. And God, what we need to do is to bring those cares and petitions and prayers to you. God, you truly are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And God, through all of our difficulties, all of our conflict, Lord, I pray that you would show us today what matters more than anything else. It is not our comfort. 
But God, you've called us, Lord, to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You've birthed us into the kingdom of God. God, you have given us a mission. And Father, I pray that we would not believe lies and error of the enemy. But God, that we would truly be willing to lay down our very life for the sake of the gospel. And so, Jesus, I pray that today that you would stir us, God, from our our places of complacency. And God, sometimes we we, we can become so uh, complacent, cold, indifferent. And Lord, sometimes it's so incredibly subtle. But Lord, show us today, remind us today the power of the gospel. Lord, your mission that's all about the gospel. And that, God, we would leave this building today unashamedly proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The the, the outline is very simple today. It all centers around the gospel. Did you catch how many times the Apostle Paul used the word gospel in this second chapter? And this portion of the letter, it is all about the gospel. So point number one is this. No greater message than the gospel. There is no greater message than the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is good news that Jesus came. It is good news that Jesus died. It is good news that Jesus rose from the dead. Do you know when I was a 16, I'm just a punk, just a punk, 16 years old, just down the road in Greer, Hillcrest Baptist Church, I heard the gospel preached by Dr. J. Harold Smith. And for the first time in my life, I knew that I was lost. I knew that I was separated from God. I'm telling you, I was crushed sitting in that room because I saw myself far, far from God. But thank God the Holy Spirit let me see Jesus who went to the cross, who bled and died, who took... Listen, did you know that Jesus became the wrath absorber on the cross of Calvary? He paid a debt that you and I could never pay. He took care of our sins. Somebody should say amen. He took care of all of our sin, past, present, and future. All of it has been dealt with under the blood of Jesus. That's good news. And Paul said, we came and declared to you the good news of the gospel. He's talking about the truthfulness of the word and the truthfulness of his ministry. You know, there were a lot of people who were saying bad things about the Apostle Paul. All kind of, you know, they absolutely hated him. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Acts 17 and you read the story of what happens, he is only there for just a very short period of time. You say, man, what a waste. He was there just for a few days. Oh, no, it was never a waste. Because here's what happened. People got saved. The church was birthed. Isn't that all a part of the mission? 
Isn't that what Jesus calls us to? So if it lasts for a day, or if it lasts for a week, if it lasts for a month, if it lasts for 10 years, if it lasts for 35 years, listen, our time, our message that is wrapped around the gospel is never, ever in vain. God's going to accomplish His will. And in that truthfulness, he's, he's making this argument about those who are saying that he was a false prophet. And he said there was no error in the word. Did you catch that? He said there was no error, no impurity, no attempt to deceive. In other words, he's saying it is real. It is genuine. Ladies and gentlemen, there is only one true vine, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if John 15 is right, and I believe that it is, if he's the only vine that is true, that means that every other vine is what? This is not a hard question. If he is true, then every other vine is what? False. And he's saying, what what I'm teaching you, what I'm modeling to you, what God has done in me and through me, and I want to see happen in you, It is all about truth. There's no impurity. There's nothing unclean about it. There's no deceit. There's no bait and switch going on here. What you see is what you get. I like what he said to the church at Corinth. This is how we should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And so Paul begins the second chapter and he's making this argument that everything they've done, it's not been in vain. They've done it to declare the only message that can, can, can change a person and that is the message of the gospel. Point number two. The fruitfulness of the gospel is dependent on our faithfulness to it. I mean, one of the things he is driving home in this portion of that letter is the fact that not only should we say we believe the gospel, but let's be faithful to the gospel. Now, this is where the rubber really meets the road, friend. It really does. I could take you to church after church after church who says that they believe in the power of the gospel. Yet when you begin to examine what they teach and you begin to examine the ministries of the church, you discover it is not about the gospel. It's about a man-centered theology. And one of the things that I do not want to see happen right here at Popular Springs is that you forsake the power of the gospel. That it just becomes some kind of catchphrase, some word, you know, a part of your Christianese vocabulary. There are a lot of people who wear crosses, but it's just jewelry. When I see the cross, it means something more to me than just jewelry. And so I don't want you to even use the word gospel in a way that just sounds good because you know that you're supposed to say it. No, I want you to be faithful to the message that changes people. And when you are faithful to that message, you will see the fruitfulness of the gospel on display. So Ken, what does that look like? It looks like people just like that young lady right up there who gives her heart to Jesus. It is just like a young man. Oh, there's a young man last week. Is he here this morning? 
that after the service we talked and he, his mom led him to Jesus. Boom! Right there. It's just like that young man right there. That is what the fruitfulness of the gospel is all about. It is not us being satisfied. It's not us coming to church and getting a bulletin. Be careful, church. Some of us get bent out of shape over things that have no eternal consequence whatsoever. Jesus never saved anybody by a church bulletin. You're welcome. Or a newsletter. You're welcome. So, Ken, I don't agree with you at all about that point. I love you so much, I will let you reserve the right to be wrong. Do you feel the weight of where I'm going in this point? What matters is nothing less than the faithfulness and watching the fruitfulness of the gospel on display. Let me ask you a quick question. Now, look, I, I, look, I, I don't I really do want to meddle a little bit right now. So I'm going to. Help me understand why 500 people could be a part of a church and we say we believe in the power of the gospel and yet we only baptize three or four people a year. Help me understand that. Can I, can I push on that just a little bit? Help me understand that. If we say we believe the gospel, if we, if we say that the only hope for this world is the gospel, then, then friend, listen, I think there comes this pivotal moment in the life of every church when you have to decide, are we going to be faithful to the gospel and watch it do what only the gospel can do? Or are we going to go like most everybody else goes and we're just going to become a spiritual country club and we're going to be safe and we're going to be quiet. We're not going to ruffle anybody's feathers. And we're going to keep all the bad people out. I pastor of a church one time and somebody made this statement. That the goal of believers is to make God look good. Can you believe somebody would say that? I could take you to the church. I could call that person's name. I won't. I really want to, but I won't. Because all it is is a window into the fact that they've got a belief system that is so critically man-centered and work-based. And I'm afraid many are going to die and go to hell because that kind of theology is destructive. God doesn't need my help making Him look good. God just looks good. And He is lovely and He is good and He is faithful. There is such a deeper issue. There are a lot of churches who have forsaken the gospel. And they're not fruitful, but they're happy because they got more money than they've ever had. they got people who are coming. Listen, you don't have to preach the gospel to get a crowd. I can take you to a lot of churches that run a lot more than we do, but they do not preach and proclaim the gospel. They will tell you that sin is just bad self-esteem. One of my favorite guys to always read has always been Vance Habner. I've got a bunch of old cassette tapes. Now, some of you have no idea what I just said. You're going to go home today and over lunch you're going to say, Hey, Mom, what is a cassette tape? I could really blow your mind if I said 8-track, all right? 
And I've got a bunch of cassette tapes that I've listened to over the years of Vance Abner. I, I, I never had an opportunity to hear the man preach in person. But I would love to have. I would love to have. I remember hearing on one of those tapes that, that Vance Havner went and heard a, a preacher who was very famous. He was famous for his power of positive thinking. Norman Vincent Peale. And he went, to her, he went and heard Vincent Peale preach and then he went back to his hotel room and he, he read through the book of Romans. And when he finished reading the book of Romans, here was his conclusion. I have found pill to be appalling, but Paul to be appealing. Why? Because one was wrapped in truth. The other was wrapped in error. The one was making man look good. The other one was the fact that the only way a man can have eternal life is if he comes to Jesus. And church, I want to encourage you today. There's a lot of directions that you can go right now in this transitional season. You can decide to do nothing and you can decide to coast and you, you can decide. I'm, I, but my heart just is, is, is begging you to please understand that the fruitfulness of the gospel is dependent on our faithfulness to it. The third thing I would say is this. Unashamedly, share the gospel no matter what the cost. As you read through this second chapter, you hear words like to declare to you the gospel. So we speak, not to please man, but to please God who knows our hearts. I mean, God knows your motives. So we didn't come in error. We, we, we didn't come with deceit. We, we didn't come to bait and switch. There's nothing hidden. He says down in verse 9 that we, we proclaim to you the gospel. So he is calling the church to several things. He's calling the church to be gospel-centered. He's calling the church to be faithful and to believe and to live out the gospel. But by the way, I want you to understand something. He's also saying you can't give what you don't have. I mean, you, 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 if you write a check and you don't have money in the bank, you're going to have a problem, right? I, I know writing a check. I've, even, I've dated myself again. Now, we barely know. Do you know? Well, that's another story. I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood today. I, I don't want you to think that I think Walmart is a part of the end time. But I do think it's interesting that the Walmart in Greer only has about two registers out of about 50 that take cash. Now you can do that what you want. Sometimes I think about stuff, okay? And my mind starts racing. Years ago, I, I was going to meet a friend of mine for lunch. And uh, his name was Donnie. And uh, I was going to the hospital in Monroe, North Carolina, make a visit. And then we were going to eat. And he said, hey, let's go to the Chinese place right, right across from the hospital. Now, I don't know about you. I love Chinese. Lord, have mercy. You give me some mugu guy pan. Oh, you give me some sesame chicken. 
You give me an egg roll, spring roll. Oh, my soul, that stuff make your tongue slap your brains out. You know what I'm saying? It's good. I was so excited, man. We're going to go eat Chinese. I went and made my visit. And uh, I thought, you know what? I'm going to run by the bank. And I'm going to drive through the drive-thru, the ATM. I'm going to take my debit card. I'll stick my debit card in. I'm going to get me some cash. And I'll go meet Donnie. So I'll go through there, stick my card in, do my little numbers, and it spit my card back out. I thought, well, no, wouldn't. I stuck it back in. It stuck it back out. I smashed it back in. Well, it kept it. <laughs> so now I've got to drive around, get out, go in, stand in line, and the clock is ticking, and my stomach is growling, and everybody's just having... Just this, and I, I, I got to go. I got to go. And I finally get up there and they said, well, here's the problem. The bank doesn't own the ATM machine. So you have to sign. And the lady that's supposed to do that is not here. She'll be here at 2 o'clock. And so there's nothing I could do. I walked out, got in my car, went around to the edge of the parking lot, got out of the Chinese restaurant, Donnie gets out, and Donnie says this, Man, I'm so glad to see you. I'm going to buy your lunch today. <laughs> and I said, Hallelujah, right? So we go in, and we have lunch, and have the best time. And so, so now it's after 2 o'clock, so I'm, I'm going to ride back over, go stand in line, have to sign for my card, give him my card, go back out, get in the car. And you know what I did? I went back to the ATM machine. Because I was going to figure that thing out. And about that time I pulled up, rolled my window down, I was getting ready to stick that card in there, and then I saw it. It wasn't their fault. It was mine. My card had expired. <laughs> now, now this is why, this is the point here. It's not that I didn't have money in the bank, but you have to appropriate what you have the right way. Right? So it's not that you and I don't have victory. It's not that the gospel can't save. It's not the gospel can't heal. It's not that the gospel can't restore. But I'm telling you, if we are not faithful and true and unashamed to live the truth of the gospel, we will never get out of our Christian experience what we could have. Are you with me? So he's calling the church to believe and to live it out. He's calling us to be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel. Are you willing to do that, church? What if God called you to abandon everything that you've ever known to be true at this church? What if God called you to do some different ministries and different things? Are you going to be like the church that says to that next pastor, Preacher, we ain't never done it that way before. Too many churches are living in glory days. They are nostalgic at best. They're always thinking about how things used to be. Now, I'm not saying all those things are bad. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying that those things were bad. But what if they're not best? 
What if, what if that's not how God is going to work? Let me say this. You understand, I'm not saying the gospel change. I'm saying the gospel never changes. But I am saying we have to be willing to lay down sometimes certain things that we even like and love for the sake of the gospel. If men and women, boys and girls being saved and the church growing, if that's what we are about, then God is asking us, are you willing to do whatever it takes? And when you begin to read that second chapter, then you begin to hear words like, Suffering. Did you catch that? How many, how many times he uses the word suffering? I remember home, my home church growing up, I heard one of our pastors, I'm not sure if it was Randall Jones or Carl Porner, but one of those guys, I remember him one Sunday saying, don't give to it till it hurts. I bet you've heard it too, haven't you? Give till it feels good. Serve the Lord out of love. Not out of guilt. Not out of manipulation. Verse 4 says that God knows our hearts. He knows our motives. So Paul is saying the gospel is a way to serve God and to love Him. And not only Him, but to love others. Because that is the result of grace. To trust God to love others. And by the way, you have to trust God to love others sometimes, right? I have to trust God to love Pat sometimes because sometimes, sometimes she's difficult. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever served with difficult people? I mean, just look around the room right quick, right? Doesn't mean we're always going to agree on certain things. Some of you think it's too cold in here this morning, don't you? Some of you think it's too hot. It's too bright. It's too dark. Don't get caught up in preferences. Amen? Keep the main thing the main thing. And what's the main thing? The gospel. The gospel. And Paul said, because we are in this relationship together, he says, well, watch this. You talk about great leadership? He says this. I have loved you... And been affectionate to you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Moms, you know what it is to love. God give you a, a, a heart that you want to, you, you're, you're a nourisher. You want to take care of your children. You would do without so your kids could have. You wouldn't eat so they could eat. You wouldn't buy you clothes so you could buy them clothes. I'm just telling you, when the storm comes, they very seldom call for daddy, do they? Pat used to get so frustrated. My, I could have one of my kids sitting right beside me downstairs in the den, and yet they wanted something out of the kitchen, which was only about six steps. And you know what they would do sitting right beside me? Mom! <laughs> Can you give me something to drink? Why do they? I don't know why they do that, but they do, right? Why? I think they do that because moms, they know that you love them. They know that you care. You are affectionate. And Paul said, hey, the kind of leadership that is centered around the gospel is a leadership that loves, that cares, that nourishes. 
would do for you what they know is best for you, even if you don't like it. Amen? But he doesn't stop there. He says, not only have I been like a mom to you, I've been like a father to you. Look what he says in verse 11 and 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So that father figure is the figure of authority. He is the one who is heading and leading and teaching and training. Those, those are interesting words there. To exhort to encourage, to charge. All those words are very synonymous. They're very close when you unpack those things. It's like here, I am a father figure. God's given me authority to lead you to be head. But in doing that, I am loving you. I'm encouraging you. I am I'm charging. The word charge there was really to means to demonstrate. So in chapter 1, he uses the word imitate. And that's what that, so, so he's building on top of that principle. I want you to be with me because I'm going to encourage you. Follow me. I'm right here with you. Have you ever gone skating? Parents, have you ever gone skating with your kids? Do you remember the first time your kids ever put on a pair of skates? Maybe they were roller skates or ice skates, but especially ice skates, right? And you know, it's, you're very unstable and you're going back and forth. I still to this day, I, I, can, I can do it. I can ice skate, but it's full steam in one direction, baby. I am the guy that will plow everybody, all right? And so what, what does that parent do? That parent is right there. And they are, they're doing this, and they're going, you can do it, you can do it. Just, you know, bend your knees. And they're, what are they? constantly encouraging. Constantly saying, you can do this. You can do this. This is fun. <laughs> you know? That's the picture that Paul is giving here. And Paul says, remember, everything that we've done for the sake of the gospel has not been in vain. He's willing to embrace the sufferings of Christ. Let let me just take, take the time to read this. Listen to what he says to the church at Philippi. Chapter 3. But whatever I had gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings. Becoming like Him in death, by that any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Church, you willing to do whatever it takes? Earlier today, we sang a song about, God, I give you what? You remember the line? I give you everything. I'll close with this. Many of you may be familiar with an old hymn written by Isaac Watts. When I survey 
the wondrous cross. And I won't take time to read the whole thing to you, but can I just read you the last verse? For the whole rim of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So church, I think God's assignment for me today, for us, is to ask you, are you willing to do whatever it takes to see the gospel being fruitful in and through this body? Lord, you know our hearts. Even in our text today, it says you test our hearts. You know our hearts. You know our motives. You know why we do what we do. And Lord, I I know that a a church that is in a season of transition, Lord, that is a critical time. It's a pivotal time. And Lord, it it would be so easy for opinions and preferences and so many other things that may sound good to begin to creep in Lord, it could be a time that the church just becomes satisfied. God, it could be a time where the enemy would come and plant all kind of lies in the body. And that the church itself would, or not intentionally, but I think subconsciously begin to make less of the gospel. Nobody would stand up and argue against the gospel. But Lord, we have to ask ourselves at times about our faithfulness to it. And are we seeing fruits of the gospel? Changed hearts, changed lives, changed marriages, changed relationships. God, do we see your kingdom growing? God, we live in a day where some people are afraid and they live in fear. And I pray, God, that you will just give Popper Springs a spirit of power and love and a sound mind, God, that we would not walk in fear. That our... Our resolve would be that, God, we're going to be people of the book. We're going to be people of the gospel. We're not going to to abandon the gospel. We don't care about, about being politically correct. God, we're not going to stand before a president or a senator. We're not going to we're not going to give an account to the poll of popular opinion. Lord, one day we're going to stand before you. And God, I pray that as we stand before you as a body, that you, you, you would be able to look at us and to know, God, that our testimony as a church is that not only did we say we believed 
the power of the gospel, but we lived the power of the gospel. We saw the gospel at work. And even though we had to suffer for it, we give you praise and we give you glory because we so we we God we sowed the right seed. We were faithful to you. And so, Lord, my prayer today is that if we're hanging on to anything less than your truth. That today would be the day we say, okay, God, I'll give it up. And I will truly give you everything. Lord, we pray this today in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want you to really think about this, this, this response that we're going to sing together. And I hope that it's more than just a song and more than just words, I I really am asking that, Lord, this would truly be our prayer. That we would truly give Him sung it and the question is 
Did we mean it? I want you to think about that as you go home today. Two or three quick things for you as you leave today. There will be some guys out there with offering plates to uh, receive the offering, or you can put them in the black boxes as you go out the portico if you're more comfortable with that. Uh, Joey will be out at the uh, welcome desk. Um, if you are new with us, you will know what we're all about. Um, Brother Joey can tell you that, and he has a class called a PS 101 that you can go and learn everything there is to know about us that he will tell you. I don't know if that's everything, but that's something. Here's two more things. First of all, next Friday, Saturday at 7 o'clock, next Sunday morning, we're going to have uh, Dr. Francois Carr with us from South Africa. He is a much sought-after speaker internationally. He's friends with uh, Henry and Richard Blackaby, who wrote uh, Experiencing God. Uh, he's going to be here. He's in the area coming in tomorrow, and he's going to be in some churches over Greenville Way um, and then he's going to be with us next weekend. Then he's going down to Atlanta and then to Alabama and then flying back home to South Africa. And so we're going to help with his expenses. We're taking a love offering next Sunday morning. Please come prepared to give. This is probably the most important thing I've personally ever asked you to do, is to be a part of this weekend. If you want to know what it's like to be intimate with God, you need to come this weekend. If you want to be more than you've ever been with the Lord and everything that you can be in the Lord, you need to come and be a part of this weekend. If I could give you $100 each and say, will you come for $100, I'd do it. But I can't. So I'm just going to ask you, will you do it? Because you need to invest in yourself with the Lord this week. Friday and Saturday nights at 7 o'clock. On Sunday morning at 9.45, all adult classes will meet in here. All adult classes will meet in here. Teachers, you won't be getting a lesson for next Sunday because um, you're going to be in here. Um, the lesson you'll get this week will go to the next Sunday. So don't forget that. Last but not least, since the Pastor Ken has alluded to this, Gunner, would you come here just a second? Robert, you might as well come with him. No, you're just going to let that poor little fella come by himself. Okay, well, raise your hand so everybody will know who you are. Okay, that's Robin. i got to teach you to be a Baptist. We don't lift them like this. We lift them like this. This is Gunner, and Gunner and his mother have been talking. He's given him life, his life to Jesus. And um, are you happy about that? Amen. <laughs> and go, we're going to be baptizing Gunner on Easter morning. Easter morning. By the way, on hell, I saw you up there. If you have somebody to baptize, you need to talk to me, and we'll do it on Easter morning. So if you're going to pray for Gunner, if you're going to love him and help him grow in the Lord, will you just wave at him? Look at there, all those people that's going to be your buddies and part of your family now. All right, I'll let you go sit down, buddy. Hey, listen, get, if you get a chance to hug him, don't forget to hug him. He's a good little hugger. Y'all might remember I popped him on the head last week before the kids sang, and he had a great reaction. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the day and for what we've experienced here. Lord, you have challenged us today. You've, you've asked us a bunch of questions that we have to answer. Oh, we may not have to answer them out loud in this setting, but we have to answer them in our, in our own lives, in our own hearts, where you see it all. So I pray today as we leave that the words of I surrender all and the message we heard will be paramount in our thinking.
We love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.